let's pray. Father, we position ourselves before you as sons and daughters, but we also position and posture ourselves as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Lord, it is our heart to become passionate followers of Jesus. Not just followers, but passionate followers of Jesus. Those that, that have the fire of the gospel burning in our hearts, burning in our spirit, burning in our lives, that we feel that we are compelled to bring them in, to go out in the highways, the hedges, the byways, and compel them to come in. Not to come into church for church's sake, but to come to a place where they can hear the gospel of Jesus. So Lord, as we continue to lay foundations, as we continue this journey through the book of Acts, Father, would you release a grace and anointing upon me as a teacher, but upon us as learners, upon us as students, to hear. So open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may know the truth that makes us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Also, a little advertisement, Bill Loveless, Uncle Bill to us, is going to be here with us of Christ's Life Ministries on Saturday morning. We're going to meet in the conference room. Love for you to come out. It's just a couple of hours. It's 9.30 to 12, basically. Come on out at 9.30. We'll get started with the teaching at 10. He's going to do two sessions, and we would love to have you out. Bill has become, like I said, I always call him, he's a brother from another mother, or uncle. He likes the brother better than uncle because he feels old if I call him Uncle Bill. But would love to have you out. Bill has been really instrumental in just in, in in helping me in my own walk with Jesus and and uh, has become a real friend. And so would love to have you out. It's just a couple of hours, basically 10 to 12, but 9.30, we'll have refreshments. You can get there and get a seat. And just bring something to write with. And uh, you may want to pick up uh, a book booklet while you're there of what he's going to be covering. So come on out. Uh, and you come comfortable, not in your jammies, but you come comfortable. So just come as you are. It's Saturday, we're all casual, but come ready to learn, ready to study. All right, let's dive into the scripture, dive into the word. Paul addresses the crowd and some really crazy things are happening. If you don't remember, and it, just ignore the screaming, they're okay over there, really, as far as I know, they're okay. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I love that they're having a blast, so just Lord bless them, give them more. So, uh, so I'll just try to talk over it. Having kids and grandkids, that stuff doesn't bother me, so just I'm so used to that. So Acts 21, leading right up to this, Paul had just started a riot again. <laughs> he had, he had, it seems like where everywhere Paul goes, the, the word disruption follows. And sometimes it's a good disruption. Remember what the, the definition of disruption is just a break in the, in the course of action. It's very simple. But everywhere Paul showed up, disruption occurred. And it was because he carried such a grace on him and he had been tasked by the Lord to take the good news to the Gentiles. Remember that? Go to the Gentiles. Bring it. So he's on his third missionary journey, and he has a desire and a heart to get back to Rome because Rome was the epicenter of the known world at the time. It was the seat of government. It was the most influential power in the world at the time, and he felt like... He had just spent three years in Ephesus, in Asia, that area. And the Bible says that all of Asia heard the gospel because of his three years. So he understood the influence if he could be in one place. Because, again, he'd been going all over the place. But then he ended up in one place for three years, massive fruit. So now he desires to go to Rome, but he has a package to deliver to Jerusalem. 
And re if you remember when we in our study from before, all of his all of his buddies were saying, "Don't go to Jerusalem. It's too volatile. It's too dangerous. If they find out you're there, you will be killed." And he and he had in his heart, "I have to go." They tried to stop him, and he said, "No, I have." They even said, "By the Spirit." I mean, they threw down the God card. Has anyone ever done that for you? <laughs> Let me tell you, the Lord told me to tell you, and you're like, oh, well, then all bets are off. I better go. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, well, if you're going to do the trump card. So, I mean, they threw down the God card, and yet he felt a compulsion to go beyond that. Interesting little dynamic there. So, while they're all saying, the, by the Spirit, you shouldn't go, you'll get killed. He's like, even if I die, I die. I mean, I've got to go. So, what he was going to do... He had taken up a collection to help the Christians that were suffering in Jerusalem and Judea, that area. And so he was compelled to deliver that himself, even in the face of danger. So that brings us up where here he is, and now he's got an uproar going. He's in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, all heaven's breaking loose. All right, so here we go. Acts 21, 37. There's our map showing where all these trips, I mean, listen... They were walking, except for here on the little boat ride here. But, I mean, there was a lot. They were putting a lot of miles on their feet. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what they were doing? In the desert, no less. Hot, dirty, sandy, peril, thieves. I mean, they were trafficking through dangerous places. And yet, the grace of God was on them. And look what happened. They made all these trips, three trips in all. And you can see down here in the legend here, now we'll see that last journey to Rome. But right now, we're back down here in Jerusalem. And like I said, all heaven is breaking loose. So let's pick it up in the scripture. I'm going to use the New Living Translation. I actually did this whole presentation in the New King James. And it was so choppy in its language. And this is more of a narrative. So I'm going to say that to you from a Bible study perspective. If you're reading stretches of scripture... Just think about it in this term. If you're reading stretches of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, sometimes it's helpful to try a different translation. If you're used to reading the authorized 1611 King James Version, uh, it can be very choppy and difficult sometimes to understand, particularly when you get into complicated passages. So feel free to access different translations. The ESV, English Standard Version, is a very solid translation. The NIV, I have jokes about all these, by the way. The NIV, I used to call the nearly inspired version. And uh, so anyway, there's all kinds. But I really like the New Living Translation. It's a solid translation, and it still has enough of a scholarly intent that they've actually, actually almost defined words as they go. It's not like the Amplified version. If you've ever read the Amplified, it's about this thick because they do. They expand, and I love the Amplified. It's a great study Bible. But if you're reading something that's a flow, and we're reading some history here, I like the New Living Translation. I'm just throwing that out there. What's beautiful about doing online Bible stuff is that you have access to all of these with a couple of clicks of a mouse, right? Or your thumb or your phone, whatever. So just a little, little caveat there. And I'm going to put this down. I don't know if this is bugging anybody. Russ, sorry there, bro. I'm putting this down. So, Acts 21, 37. Paul speaks to the crowd. Now, here's... Remember, he has just been taken into custody because he started a riot 
And the Romans are taking him into custody because they're not even sure what's going on. All they know is like, wait, we got a riot going on. we got to stop this. They were always afraid of anything breaking out because the local government did not want to bring the hammer down from the bigger government, all right? You could almost say the civil government of Jerusalem didn't want the state coming down on them or federal coming down on them. So any time there was a big disruption, they would try to quell it and stop it quickly because they did not want to get the attention of Rome because it would be a bloodbath every time, right? Because it was that volatile and that dangerous. So the Roman guard's not sure what's going on. All he knows is there's a ruckus. So he grabs Paul, uh, seeing that he's the middle of this ruckus, and takes him away to what we'll see as the barracks. He's trying to get him out of the flow and, A, keep him from getting killed and stop this noise, this riot. So that's, that's where we pick it up. Verse 37. As Paul was about to be taken inside, again, away from the crowd, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? Do you know? And then listen to this. Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised, because he said it in Greek. You have to understand there were various languages going on. Who knows what the language of the day, you can't answer, Colonel, because you probably know this. So... I'll give you a chance in a minute. But who knows what the language of the day in, among the Hebrew people was? Who said that? You get a star and a jelly bean. That's awesome. It's Aramaic. And so even though we don't see a lot of the scripture written in Aramaic, that was the language of their day. So Paul says to the commander in Greek, he says, may I have a word with you? He's like, wait, you know Greek? No, I just know one sentence. Yes, of course I know Greek. So... He says this, the commander asked, surprised. And he says this in verse 38. This is an interesting thing. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied. I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. He says, please let me talk to these people. Now, before we just blow past that, because we tend to do that when reading the Bible, let's. what is this... Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins? There was an Egyptian guy who actually began to go in and he created this, this underground army of assassins. And they were brutal. They were barbaric. And what they would do, they would literally go out into the streets with knives and they would, they would single out people who were supporting Rome supporting the the tyrannical government, and they would slit their throats. I mean, you'd be in a crowd of people in the marketplace doing what you do in Jerusalem or going to temple. But if you were a sympathizer with Rome, then they found out they'd cut your throat. And there were 4,000 of them. And so there was this big um, Felix... One of, the, one of the leaders in the Roman uh, province there, he brought the hammer down and they drove him out and got rid of him. Bless all of his, you know, they, they squashed that rebellion. But it, that's what that reference is to. So this, this commander is going, are you that guy? Are, are you him? Paul's like, uh, no, I'm a Jew. I'm not Egyptian. So Paul's just clarifying. If you don't know some of that background, you can read through that and you just kind of go, well, that's yet another confusing piece of scripture. No, there's a whole story behind the story. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. So he says, no, Paul, I'm a Jew, a citizen of Tarsus and Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. Now, 
The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs, apparently where this barracks area was. It must have been elevated. Paul's up on the stairs. He motioned to the people. These are the people that were riding because of him. And he tells them to be quiet. Look what happens. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd. So get the picture. He's up on the elevated platform, on stairs, overlooking this crowd that wanted to kill him. And he tells them to be quiet, and look what happens. A deep silence. So there's something up here. That's not normal. That's not natural. That's actually supernatural. Above nature, okay? That's what supernatural means. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language. Notice the language. Well, some of your translations won't say that, but this one does because that was the common language of the Hebrew people of the day. They talked to each other, not in Greek, not even in Hebrew. That was their religious language, but the common language was Aramaic. So he addresses them. So Paul's talking Greek to one guy, turns right on and speaks Aramaic to the crowd. Look what happens. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said. Man, I mean, he's starting eloquent, right? He's, he's about to wax eloquent. He says this. Listen to me as I offer my defense. He's like, all right, here's why I'm here, and let me talk to you about this. Let me tell you what's going on. Verse 2, when they heard him speaking in their own language, Aramaic. You'd think Hebrew, right? Or Greek. No, it's Aramaic. So when he heard them speak in their own language, the silence was even greater. They're like, whoa, okay. He's speaking our language. It's kind of like when you travel somewhere. Uh, if you're in Europe and you hear somebody speaking in Texan, it gets your attention. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Or, frankly, if you're in Europe and you hear somebody speaking in English without an accent, that gets your attention. We, we just know. It's like, oh, I'm going to listen. They're one of us. And we, we met some people while we were there. So, listen to this. The silence was even greater. Then Paul said, he starts a speech. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the high priests, a rabbi, and he's the one who who uh, Paul studied under, and if you'll remember, Paul became the rookie of the year Pharisee. I mean, he was like the high achiever. He was the protege. He was the one, man, he was the up-and-coming rock star among the Pharisees. A Pharisee, he even calls himself this, a Pharisee among Pharisees. So Paul said, man, I was like the rock star coming up, and he studied under the great teacher, Gamaliel. We've seen him in other passages. And it says, as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. So you have to understand, Paul moved to Jerusalem when he was very young, at least pre-teen, because that's, you know, after bar mitzvah, they're now eligible to become a disciple of a rabbi and get in a group, a rabbinic group. So he had to have come before that. So probably in his, in his earlier years, they moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm one of you. I'm family here. I studied under the greatest, one of the greatest rabbis there, there is. He says, as a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. So he's appealing. He's in the spirit of appeal. You can feel it in his language. Verse 4, and I persecuted the followers of the way. That's been referenced before, by the way, in the scripture. I think, think chapter 17 talked about those followers of the way. The way. That's, that's Jesus. And I persecuted the followers of the way. Those that were following Jesus, I persecuted them, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, 
and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Not just punished, but put to death. So, so do you get the picture? He's saying, I'm one of you. In fact, I was one of the most zealous. He's appealing to them to say, this is who I am. Because he's setting something up. As you know, we've read several of Paul's messages, sermons, so to speak. And it's, there's, it's, he always does a sort of setup. And he's setting it up for what he's about to see, about to do. And when he does, as usual, disruption's about to break out again. So get ready for it. Verse 6, as I was on the road approaching Damascus, remember, he was on a, on a horse. I always say he was on his high horse and the Lord took him off his high horse. Remember that? As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you're persecuting. He's retelling the story detail for detail. He didn't mention the horse. He just says, I was on the way and I fell. And this is what happened. So you can imagine the crowd had fallen silent. They're hearing him tell this in Aramaic. And he's telling a story. So everybody loves a good story, right? So they're listening. They're, they're leaning forward. And he's telling this story of being Pharisee of Pharisee, persecutor of those people of the way. This is, I was authorized to do this by, by our very religious leaders in the council. And he says, this happens to me, a supernatural event. So you can imagine he had them in the palm of his hands. They're like, whoa. And he says, who is this? I am Jesus. I had to get their attention. That's the shift in the story where they were with him. Now look what happens. Verse 9. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. Do you remember that in the story? If we go back to Acts chapter 9, where all that happened, remember this voice came out. Paul understood the voice, but those around didn't. They just heard thunder. They just heard a rumble. But he heard it. He says this, I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. Remember, he's on the road to Damascus. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. Again, retelling the story. Verse 12, a man named Ananias lived there. And then he makes sure that he lets them know that Ananias was one of them and was a good man. So look what he, how he sets it up. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. Right there, what he's doing, he's giving the qualifications for a story. Have you ever told a story and then you tell something about the person involved in the story? Because you want to validate and you want people to know this is real. So you sort of validate your story with facts and, and factoids and important information. He's doing that because they're tracking with him. And go, Oh yeah, Ananias, yeah. Yeah, he's regarded by all the Jews. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. Now, they, he's got him in the palm of his hand. They're just like, what? What? 
And then look what happens. Verse 15. For you are to be his witness. And this is Ananias telling him, this is what the Lord's saying to you. You're to be his witness. What does a witness do? Answer the questions, right? Telling everyone what you have seen. What? He's answering. I have seen this. That's what a witness does. I saw this. I experienced this. This is what I saw. He says, what you've seen and heard, what, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 17. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I mean, they've got to be going, where is this story going? I mean, he's talking about getting knocked off of a high horse by a bright light. He heard a voice from heaven. Uh, he's, he was blinded. Now he sees. And they've got to be just tracking along. This is like watching you know, a, a movie of the week on Lifetime Channel. It's like, wow, what's going to happen next? This is crazy. So look what happens. I returned to Jerusalem. I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. I believe that the God who still spoke or who spoke still speaks. The God who made himself visible, I believe still makes himself visible. For whatever reason, we've got in our theology that there's a break between there and now. That is a massive mistake. So many people miss what the Lord wants them to have and enjoy and experience and encounter because somehow, somewhere along the way, somebody told you this stuff stopped. Somebody told you that doesn't happen anymore. That these things ceased to happen. So look what he says. I saw a vision saying, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was com in complete agreement when your witness, Stephen, remember Stephen when he was killed? Was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. In other words, when they took off their, their tunics and their coats and their garments, they handed them to Saul, young Saul, the rookie Pharisee, who authorized all this, held their coats while they stoned and killed Stephen, a follower of Jesus, right there in cold blood in the middle of the street. He says, I kept their coats they took off when they stoned him. Verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go. For I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now here's the deal. You're about to see something in this story. They're tracking. They're going, this is fascinating. This is supernatural. This is, a, what an amazing story. And they're, they're in. They're like, wow. Until that last sentence. That last sentence. I brought this up on Sunday. I brought it up to you dozens of times. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yay! Judea. Woohoo! Samaria. Oh, wait, we're not going to Samaria. Those dirty people live over there. I don't know if in the town where you lived, you had tracks. But in post-Texas, we had tracks. And there were different people that lived on that side of the tracks. I mean, for real. The town was literally separated by a railroad track. And when you drove over there, it was a different world. And, and it, was, it could be dangerous over there if you're not among your kind. You know what I'm saying? 
Same way with Samaria. They did not want to go through Samaria because those unclean Gentiles, those, those non-believers, those, those dirty people, those undesirables lived over there. So now, so remember, he's saying that to the disciples in Acts 1-8. And they're like, yeah, Jerusalem, yeah, Judea. Samaria? We got to go to Samaria? To them? And we saw that that happened later in Acts chapter 9 and 10 at Cornelius' house when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles just as he was poured out upon the Jews in Acts chapter 2. you got to connect the dots of this stuff. So, yeah, the Gentiles. So now, Paul's got them. They're, they're loving the story. They're with him. And then he says this. He just goes and throws a wrench in the spokes. I mean, he just like jams a, a crowbar in the spokes of a motorcycle going 30 miles an hour. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. That word. Those Gentiles. And trust me, there are key words in our own culture that if I was to say them, it, it could incite some emotions right here. I'm not going there. But I don't have to, do I? I don't have to. One of the things that was one of my favorite things about our church in Abilene, we were there for 10 years, is that we were 45% African American, 30 plus percent Hispanic, and then my, I was an other as a senior pastor. And you know what? I loved it. I learned so much. I'm not saying it was easy. We had to navigate culture. We had to navigate misunderstanding. There was hardly a Sunday that I didn't preach a sermon where Miss Angel Bradbury, sitting on the front row, would come up to me and say, Pastor, you know I love you, but don't ever say that again. I'm trying to relate, you know, and be culturally relevant. And she's like, don't say that again, Pastor. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Miss Angel. There was hardly a Sunday went by where she didn't correct me on something stupid I said by trying to be culturally relevant. And she'd say, no, no, don't say that. that. That's not a good word. She took care of me, became one of my church moms, so to speak. And to this day, she sent me a text recently. I hadn't heard from her in years. Got a text just recently from her asking for prayer. I, oh, Miss Angel. Miss Angel, I miss her. Well, Miss Angel lived on the other side of the tracks. But when we were in church together, we, it just looked like heaven's going to look. And that was one of the things I said. I'd say to, on Sunday morning, I'd say, look around. I'd say, this looks like heaven. This is what heaven's going to look like. Because we were all nations. My keyboard player was from Indonesia. Did I get that right? Or Malaysia? Indone Josh Lai. Malaysia. So my keyboard player was Malaysian. Half our band was African-American. Then I was the, the whitey trying to play cool guitar to their music, which was not great. <laughs> I was like, I was being stretched all the time. But, oh, man, did we have fun. We had fun. And, and I did. I stuck my foot in my mouth a lot of times and, because we were trying to love each other and do what we're going to do for eternity, hang out. So the crowd listened until Paul said that word. What was the word? The Gentiles being sent to the Gentiles. Then they all begin to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. Why? Because he claimed God sent him to the Gentiles, not to those undesirables, not to those dirty people. 
He isn't fit to live. In other words, kill him. He needs to be killed. They yelled. I mean, they went nuts. They did what they do. They threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. We think that's weird, but it's, a, it's an expression of anger and angst. You know, for us, we just rattle off a few select words or punch the door of a car. or well, you know, We just do something, throw a plate. Whatever we do when we're mad, kick something. They would go down on the ground. They'd throw dust into the air and just disgust and anger. It was just an expression. And that's what they did. They just, they went crazy. And they went into a rage, which was exactly what the Roman guys standing right there did not want to happen. It's like, oh, no, no. I mean, this is going to make my job hard. It's almost like a police officer has to deal with a big, a big issue where they have to, you know, arrest 12 people and then they got to do paperwork on them and it's this is a big mess and, and, and they're just like going, no, 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 not on my watch. And, and look what happens. They, they just lose it. They go ape nuts. They lose their mind. So here's what happens. The commander brought Paul inside to keep him from getting killed because they were about probably tearing down the, the platform where the stairs were and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime because he's thinking, well, I don't even know what he's done, but he had to have done something to get them mad. He doesn't even know what the crime is. He, he's just like, we're going to scourge him. We're going to flog him. And remember, that's a brutal beating, by the way. That's not like a hand slap. This isn't a teacher with a ruler on your hand back in the day. The commander brought Paul, or Coach Gideon swatting me with a really well-crafted paddle. That's not that. This is dangerous. It could even disembowel an individual. The commander brought Paul inside, ordered him lash whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. Like, this guy must have done something. I mean, they went crazy. Look what happens. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Paul's is so cool. Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? I mean, talk about throwing down the card, the Trump card, I'm a Roman citizen. You talk about an E.F. Hutton moment? Remember E.F. Hutton commercials when E.F. Hutton speaks? People yeah, people listen, right? That's what happened. He threw down the card. It's like the room went quiet because you're going to find out here in a second why. But he says, is it legal for you to whip a rope? I mean, he hasn't even gotten a lash. They're all getting ready. They're getting the scourge ready, and they're all loosening up because they're about to. And he's like, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? In other words, you could not scourge or lash anyone without an official formal trial. And those who did went outside the bounds of the law, even under their own law, and there's severe consequences to a Roman soldier, lawkeeper, whatever, who did that. So all of a sudden, the whole temperature of the room changes. Like the barometric pressure of the room changes. Look what happens. When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, uh, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, suddenly I have knowledge I didn't have before. What are you doing? So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Well, yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. And, and the, the officer says, well, I am too, the commander muttered. And it cost me plenty. He had to pay for it. I mean, he's a, it cost me everything I had. Paul says, but I'm a citizen by birth. Trump card. I mean, he's like going over trumping them every time. Now he's like, he's got the leverage, right? 
He keeps shutting the room down. It's like, wow, what next? Verse 29. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. Because they understood that they could not do this to a Roman citizen. Now what we're going to find out, we're going to stop here tonight. But what we're going to find out in our next next time together is that where did Paul want to go? He wanted to go to Rome. Guess what? This is going to precipitate. This is a setup. Now here's the deal. Paul didn't plan this, by the way. This wasn't in, Paul wasn't that smart. He's smart, but he wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get myself almost killed and then I'm going to devise a way where, but what, he, what happened and how God orchestrated, and really that's the lesson to me as I read this, I was like, look how God is intervening in natural events to pull off a supernatural thing. So God, in, in an interactive mode, realizes Paul's got to get to Rome. He's got to. I mean, there's a, there's a whole strategy here. So Paul devises, or God devises a way to get him transported to Rome. And we're going to see some, it turns, this is about to turn into an adventure. I mean, it's already been one, but it's crazy what's about to happen. And feel free to read ahead. In fact, I would do it in the NLT if you want to do some reading, because it's really a good flow. It's like reading a story as opposed to just choppy scriptures. So, so God is setting this up. Paul is going to end up in Rome, but not at all how he thought. And all along the way, there's going to be opportunities where if you were from the outside in looking in, you'd say, oh my gosh, he's going to die again. Oh, this is going to end in death. Oh, there's no way he'll survive this. And thing after thing after thing happens, event after event, where you see the hand of God orchestrating and ordering the steps of Paul. I quote this scripture a lot. Psalm 37, 23 has become one of my favorites. It's in the top, top few. And it simply says this. It says that the steps of the righteous are ordered or ordained or established by the Lord, depending on what translation you're reading. And then it says this. In one translation it says, and he, God, delights in his way. In other words, God delights in our way. Well, that's kind of a nice thing. It's a warm fuzzy, but I really don't know what it means. The NLT translates it, and God delights in every detail of his life. What that's saying is that God actually takes pleasure in the details of your life. He's actually creating moments, and if need be, diversions, because we may be heading off a cliff. And he will set up things along the way to get your attention. It's like somebody, it's like if somebody's driving and the bridge is out on the road, but they don't know it. And there's five people who see this happen and they're trying to flag you down. The Holy Spirit of God will intervene in our lives and say, stop what you're doing. And a lot of times it'll be a nudge, it'll be a shoulder tap, and we just ignore it and keep going. And it can end in disaster, right? Right? But we see how God, his hand is on this event and he's orchestrating Paul to get to Rome. And he does it without him getting killed. And he does it in a way that literally shut down the Roman guard. They couldn't even respond. They're like, hands off. So what's going to happen is they're going to have to refer Paul to a higher court. 
And guess where that court is? It's in Rome. So they're going to send him because he's a Roman citizen by birth. So he threw down those trump cards like, we're hands off. We're not touching this guy. But we can't leave him here because he keeps creating a disruption. Remember the fourth D in our four Ds? The first one, in fact, I'll show it. I've got it on the last slide. So let me just cover this and we'll end with this. So our 4D strategy is simple. It's to discover, develop, deploy, and disrupt. Discover means we, we desire that all of us discover who we are in Christ. We discover our identity. Jesus is Lord, I'm not. <laughs> right? He's the king. He's, but, but I am who he says I am. So if he calls me beloved, I'm beloved. If he calls me holy, guess what? I'm holy on my worst day. But if he calls me holy, I am. Colossians 1.22, and you're holy, blameless, and above reproach in my sight. I mean, the Lord is so, so I am who he, is, who he says I am. That's discovering your identity in Christ. The second thing we, we desire for all of us together as we move down the track and grow as disciples is to be developed. You have gifts you have talents, you have abilities that the Lord has given you, but he wants those developed. He wants us to build and grow and expand our capacity to impact the world and make a difference. That's the development stage. That's part of what we're doing right here. This is a piece of that. That's the discipleship piece. But then the deployment piece is this. We don't just sit on our blessed assurance the rest of our lives, right? There's something to do, and there's a reason why we discover. There's a reason why we develop. It's so we can be deployed Listen, not here. This is great. We want you doing stuff. But let me tell you where we get really excited is when we hear about you doing stuff out there. In your neighborhoods, in the marketplace, where you, there's three environments, where you live, where you work, and where you play. That pretty well covers everything, doesn't it? If there's another one, let me know and we'll add a, we'll add a fourth one. I, I think it pretty well covers. Live, work, and play. But we want you to be deployed and go out there and do what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, overflow. Live an awestruck life while you're overflowing. And guess what happens? It's a compelling life that people have to ask, why are you different? How can you, how can you have joy when the world's losing its mind right now? How can you have joy when, when everything's going on in politics and all How can you be joyful? Oh, well, let me tell you how. Thank you for asking the question. I'm glad you asked. I'm a witness, and I'm going to answer your question. And when you're getting opportunities to answer questions, you know you're, you're on. You're, you're, you're in your deployment. So, and then the last one is disruption. And that's a good thing. That means interrupting the normal course of life. God has sent us into this world as disruptors. Divine holy disruptors, not rebels, but revolutionaries, yes, not rebels, but revolutionaries. There's a difference. So we go out into the world and we create disruption in a good way. And I'm so thankful that Steve McMeans disrupted my life. I'm so thankful that Mr. Jimmy Stringer, uh, my band teacher, interrupted my life with the gospel. Steve McMeans was a youth minister who interrupted my life with the gospel when I was in high school. Lenny Drake, May rest in peace, was one of my best friends in high school, got killed on a motorcycle later. But God interrupted his life, and then he interrupted mine as his best friend. And I lived a life of ongoing disruption through those high school years. I'm so thankful that disruption played a role in me coming to know Jesus. So let me tell you something. He will use disruption to get your attention. Amen?
What's beautiful is when we get to play a role in that for others. And eyes get open and lives get changed. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Thank you for your patience. You guys are awesome. Man, enjoy this like you're watching a movie. We should have popcorn next week. I mean, it's just, this thing just continues, this, this journey, popcorn and Cokes. I mean, have a good time. But I'm telling you, this is so wild how God has orchestrated these events. So lean into it. Enjoy it. Get out your own Bible. Go online if you don't have a New Living Translation and check it out. You can get it through your YouVersion Bible if you have a phone or an iPad or a computer or tablet, whatever. Uh, you can get it online just with your computer. Uh, but it's super easy through YouVersion Bible or you can just Google New Living Translation. It's free online. So read it in a different translation than you normally use. See if you don't get some fresh insight and see if it doesn't spice it up for you. So let's pray together. Father, what a privilege. We submit ourselves to you. And Lord, you're showing us that in the middle of all this disruption and what appeared to be chaos, you actually were orchestrating Paul's deliverance Paul's cruise, so to speak, to Rome. You, you used it to do exactly what Paul believed he was compelled to do, and that's go to Rome. And you set it up where that is exactly what's about to happen. Lord, thank you for these scriptures that teach us that these were real people engaging real encounters with other real people, real events, real emotions were involved, real politics were involved, real disruption was involved. These are real people. Father, give us grace to read beyond a cursory reading of the scripture, to go a little bit deeper and enter into the story of the Bible to see that these were people just like us, maybe from a different culture, but human nature's never changed. It, it, it transcends boundaries, geography, and culture, and time. We're still the same. We're still the same throughout the world. So, Lord, give us grace to enter into the story and in some way see through the eyes of Paul so that we can see that you're a God who provides and makes a way where there is no way. So thank you for our for what we have here. And I pray for my friends. I pray, Lord, for this week as we deploy out from this place tonight for opportunities for divine and holy disruption and that people will ask us questions about why. Why? And then we get to talk about who. So give us the grace and the opportunity. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. God bless you.